0: Chapter 28. The Cosplay Convention Cosplay, since the hardship had bedded in, had become the hobby of the super-rich. The vast majority of people, Martha reflected, were hard-pushed to afford the clothes that they needed to keep warm. And this, in turn, had shifted the emphasis of the cosplay movement from nerdy self-expression to big business. Small, independent gaming studios were a thing of the past. The weaker of these had been priced out of the market, the stronger had been absorbed in the three dominant multinationals. Most of the costumes related, in one way or another, to the output of these companies, and the best of them were sponsored. A sponsorship deal was the holy grail of cosplay, the equivalent of being picked up by a top modelling agency, and studio representatives docked the conventions in search of new talent. Cosplay was a strong promotional tool, and a decent sponsor would not only design and pay for your costume, they would also foot the bill for the surgery and the dental work necessary to make you look like their latest character. Contestants were not allowed to identify their sponsor at conventions but it was remarkable how often that sponsored costumes won the contests. Martha's conscience wriggled and kicked. She reprimanded it firmly. Like Leah, Martha had a family to support and presenting the Dublin Cosplay Convention was too lucrative a gig to turn down. I can't leave the building, she whispered down the phone to Leah. I'm on the podium in twenty minutes, and I won't be done until five o'clock. She paused, and looked around the seething mass of anime characters. You okay? Yes, said Leah. There's a lot going on, but I'm safe. I'm really sorry to be bothering you, but these guys turned up at my building with news about Ronan. Apparently they're in costume. It sounds like they actually do know something, but their English isn't great and I can't understand them on the phone. Could you talk to them? Sweetie, said Martha. This is now a PLH situation. Nothing to worry your pretty little head about. If they're in costume, send them over and leave passes at the door. She turned to prepare the podium. A blue-skinned humanoid with a seaweed-like growth down its spine offered to help her with the chairs. She recognised the creature from a recent release, but there were also cult classics, from before the gamification of the film industry. The entire casts of Star Trek and Star Wars crowded into different bars. The organisers had learned to keep them apart. And there were classes for Tolkien Middle-Earthlings, TME, Beings of Whovian Origin, BWO, and Studio Ghibli Nostalgia, SGN. Totoro was there, in various furry dimensions, and Leela from Futurama, who, with her purple hair and kick-ass boots, was a favourite for Cyclops classics, CC. The single central eye was hard to achieve. Obviously, there were more points if you could actually see out of it, but ocular implants for cosplay were on the far side of extreme. Martha's blue-skinned helper had gills behind its ears. What does it all mean? It asked her plaintively as she adjusted the mic. Martha was about to answer. Then she realised that the line was a direct quote from the character's latest role. Depends on where you're standing, partner, she replied, picking up the reference. Will you have mayonnaise or ketchup with that? The creature beamed delightedly. Its cinematic sidekick, a plastic perfect Japanese woman, joined them on the podium. She wore green furry boots, a minuscule baby doll dress, and her hair was a seething mass of snakes. She tickled the blue thing behind its feathery gills. It rolled up into a ball and giggled. Martha indicated, politely but clearly, that it was time for them to step down from the podium. The pair left with a reasonable grace, but the hair snakes hissed viciously at her from behind their owner's back. Martha could remember when cosplay was niche. Now, with the world the way it was, everyone needed an escape. Most people could still afford a handheld device for gaming, but only the super-rich could morph their physical identity with that of their online character. The truly committed, known as the embodied, identified as their character in daily life and underwent lasting physical change, surgical or chemical, as part of becoming who they were, an increasing number of workplaces, including Soul Trader, accepted embodied employees with the level of grace formerly reserved for gender difference. If you identified as a dragon, then they were contractually bound to accept you as a dragon, provided that you could do your real world work. What is real anyway? chirruped a feathered being. "'Woke, woke, woke!' its identical companion replied. "'Both had follicular implants, "'so that feathers sprouted from the goose pimples on their upper bodies. "'One of them, unfortunately, was molting.' "'Martha sighed. "'She truly respected the embodied in their commitment to costume "'and the sincere dedication with which they inhabited their fantasy lives. "'The trouble was,' that most of the films and games around which they based their new identities were designed only to make money and to spawn sequels. All that creativity wasted, she thought. The scripts are so limited that there's nothing for them to become. It had been several years since Gary had taken a taxi. When he attended private school, it had been a regular occurrence. Now, It took several minutes' conversation and a hefty tip to persuade the taxi driver to let a street person into his cab. Arthur, on Leah's instruction, prepaid the driver and texted Martha to tell her that they were on their way. Oh. My. God. The receptionist at the cosplay convention had been admitting aliens since the doors opened at nine in the morning, but even she was impressed at the appearance of the she. Their facial structure had been rebuilt in such a way that they looked mammalian, although not quite like any particular animal. Likewise, their silky pelts could only have been achieved by follicular transplant. Surgery was hardcore, although not unknown, but she had never seen anything like this. Serious commitment. Serious money. Plus, They were drop dead gorgeous. The receptionist gazed up at them through three centimeter eyelashes. Her own hair was bleached white and bobbed. She wore a tight high necked uniform in electric blue with crescent shaped slits in the fabric above her breasts and an electric blue pillbox hat. Her eyebrows were purple. You guys are the bomb. The she bowed politely, introducing themselves by name. The receptionist checked the online record, then pushed two entry forms across the desk. Martha had let her know their names, but not their category of entry. Trian and aid examined the pieces of paper with interest and looked around for Gary, who, having no illusions about the likelihood of his admission to the event, had slipped through to the cloakroom while no one was watching and was making himself respectable in other people's clothes. Noticing that the webbing between their digits made it difficult for them to hold pens, the receptionist came to their rescue. Don't worry, darlings, I'll fill in the forms for you. Now, what are you? Trian and Aide bowed once again. We're of the she. The receptionist was accustomed to convention participants remaining in character. She ran her finger down the list. Now, we don't have that listed and you're too late for furry fandom, so why don't I just put you straight into the final parade of creatures from another world? We're from Ildahuk, Trian agreed. No problem. The receptionist printed out their passes on turquoise paper. You're on in half an hour. Just follow the turquoise line on the ground and you can't go wrong. She paused, admiring their muscular arms, and wondering for a moment whether they were wearing anything under those utterly convincing jerkins. She shimmied around the desk, revealing a bare midriff above a very small skirt and electric blue ankle boots. Can I have a selfie? Trian and Aide stared at her mystified as the receptionist whipped a phone from her pocket and held it at arm's length, encouraging the bewildered she to lean in and smile. They did so, showing a new level of detail in their dental work. She clicked, examined, clicked again, and then lost interest in them as she got to work on her hashtags. Hashtag cosplay, hashtag alien, hashtag beautiful hashtag embodied, hashtag pair of rides, hashtag photo of the day. By the time she had posted to her horcrux, the she had wandered off into the crowd. As Trian and Aide set forth into the crowded hall, Gary emerged from the cloakroom, almost unrecognisable in a smart woolen blazer and recently ironed chinos. His leaky trainers had been discarded in favour of handmade Italian shoes and he carried a laptop case in one hand and a valid press pass in the other. Result, said Gary, come on. The adjudication of marine and aquatic beings, M.A.B., was now in full swing. Gary, who had a good memory for pretty much everything, recognised Martha amid a sea of cephalopods. It was a sophisticated class, and even the experts struggled to tell the difference between mechanised puppetry and the embodied, whose tentacles were vat-grown implants based on a splicing of human and octopus DNA. The cosplay convention in Tokyo included a tank for embodied characters with gills, ECG, but this had been disallowed in Dublin due to drownings and expense. Now, the judges deliberated over a combined entry billed as the fisherman's wife. One player had a full octet of tentacles and a predatory beak. The other was a humanoid female, simply dressed and carrying an empty jar. She came under the category of women waiting to be ravished. WWR It was a controversial area. Cephalopod rape fantasy, CRF was not allowable in public cosplay competitions. There were clear rules demarcating the boundaries of tentacle porn. But this entry was technically allowable. There was nothing overtly sexual about it, despite the entrance' obvious predilection for intimate cephalopod interaction, ICI, which was colloquially known as squidding. Some of the costumes were very diverting and, by the time Gary's attention reverted to the she, they had already been herded into the corral for creatures from another world. Gary flaunted his press pass at the gate to no avail. He made his way to the back of the podium. The she, being half a head taller than anyone else in the room, were easy to identify. They stood among scaled and silvered beings and looked around with interest. Lacking Fuelon's interest in human culture, they had low expectations of the human world, and found it unexpectedly entertaining. They had very little notion of what was going on. Having no reference for pretending to be something other than you actually were, the idea of dressing up was utterly foreign to them. Also, despite their brother's efforts, they did not particularly like humans but no she is immune to sincere regard. It was clear to all that the costumes of train and aid were far superior to anything else at the convention. They basked in the admiration, grudging or otherwise, that emanated from the crowd. Martha took all this in with a quick glance and a sinking heart. She had a notion that, having engineered their last-minute entries, it would be a bad idea to let them win. The idea had been to park them somewhere until she finished work. This seemed to have backfired. The judges, a trio of international cosplay experts, sat at the back of the podium as the parade of aliens commenced. Martha stepped up to the mic with a dazzling smile. And now for our grand finale. Her pink dress, close-fitted, low-cut, was designed to command attention. Apart from the judges and a scattering of journalists, she was one of the few people in the room not wearing costume. Her faux diamond earrings sparkled as she turned to welcome the parade of creatures from another world. The drill was that each competitor would step onto the podium, display their costume, answer a few questions from the panel and step down the other side the first 20 entrants this worked perfectly. The strongest of these, in Martha's opinion, was a robodog based on a long-forgotten cyberpunk character and composed of mechanical prosthesis and a Dalmatian skin graft. Its neighbour accused it of having fleas. The robodog was followed by an elf, winner of the Tulky Middle Earthlings class who insisted that the judges address her in Elvish, and a conversational creature that looked exactly like a real dog. Its cover was blown when it began to scratch, bearing out the flea theory, but dislodging its voice implant, which revealed that it actually was a real dog. It was removed by the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals team. Gary looked appraisingly at the she and wondered how the prevention of cruelty lads would get on with them. He hoped that the situation would not arise. Living on the street had heightened his awareness and, unlike anyone else in the room, he had a reasonably accurate idea of how dangerous and Trian actually were. The she stepped up onto the platform and looked around awaiting instructions. A murmur went up from the crowd. Martha consulted her handheld device. Let's have a big hand for our final contestants, Aid and Trion of the She. There was a roar of applause. Aid and Trion bowed. The three judges rose to their feet and clapped. One of them emerged from behind the desk and advanced, still clapping. But Martha had taken a closer look at the She. Bloody hell, she thought. Those aren't costumes. At that moment, the fire alarm went off. Lights flashed, a siren howled, and the sprinklers released a chemical-laden spray. Fearful for their precious costumes, the participants fled. Martha and the she headed towards the exit, where Gary was waiting for them finishing a cigarette. He ground the butt under his heel. Thought you needed an out. Martha had no recollection of Gary, and even if she had, would not have recognised him in his current garb. Who are you? He is the gatekeeper, said Trian helpfully. Even among the costumed participants milling on the pavement outside the building, the she were beginning to attract attention. Bus number 49N, 54A, 65 Trion recited. Martha stared at him blankly. Talla, said Gary. All those buses go to Talla. Mountain View Road, said Aide. Can I have a selfie? Asked a tentacled creature beside them. You guys are so famous. Martha turned to Gary. Mountain View Road. That's where Leah's parents live. Press the bus stop? The bus journey was easier than Martha imagined. The she, initially frightened, consented to climb aboard. Once seated, they seemed less conspicuous. The only person who seemed to notice anything out of the ordinary was an old traveller woman sitting in the back of the bus with her pregnant daughter. At the sight of the she, the woman crossed herself and threw her coat over her daughter's head. The younger woman attempted to free herself and received a sharp slap on the knee. Keep yourself covered, Nan, her mother hissed. Don't be looking at them or they'll be back for the babby.